Uh, I mentioned recently, I think we, we recognize that um, the devil is contributing to, no doubt contributing to some of the things that we see in the world today. You know, he's always looking for an in, and of course we're not glorifying him, but we want to make sure we understand the, the devices of our enemy and the nature of the battle that we're in. Uh, he's looking for any opportunity to uh, distract God's people, to harm God's people, to uh, create disunity, uh, to uh, draw us away from the Lord and distract us, and that's part of the business that he's in. But I'm thankful, Brother Richard, this morning that we have God's words to show us a biblical answer to the battle that we're in. The Bible shows us that we're in a spiritual battle. The Bible shows us God's answers to that battle. And I want to uh, just spend some time this morning in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, please, uh, looking at Paul's instruction, his inspired instruction, right, to church members there at Ephesus and for us as well uh, about the strength that we can find in the Lord. And of course, here in this chapter, the armor that God has provided for us. Now, listen, we're in a battle. We understand that. We've been in a battle. Uh, but it's, it seems especially difficult right now, doesn't it? I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. So I want to ask you this morning, are you looking to the Lord for strength? Are you remembering to do that? Are you looking to the Lord for strength? Are you doing that? And are you availing yourself of all of the armor that the Lord has provided for us for this battle? Are you remembering to do that? And I think sometimes our answer would be kind of casual. Well, I think I am pastor in a general sense at least. And, uh, you know, I get up in the morning and I, and I pray and, and pray about, okay. But I want to encourage us this morning to be, to be, very, um, to be very specific in, in looking to the Lord daily for the strength that we need. And, and taking care that we are aware of and reminded of and employing all of the armor that God gives us for this battle that we're in. Because, Rich, we're in a battle, aren't we? We're in a battle. It's, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. You know that this morning. Uh, God gives us what we need to fight the battle. You know, in a very real sense, the battle's already won, right? The devil knows, the devil knows that the battle is, is lost, and all he can do is kick and scream and try to distract and dissuade between now and, and the, the time that he'll be locked away once and for all. He knows he's defeated at the cross, but boy, he wants to mess with us as much as he can, as long as he can. We need to know God's answer to that. We need to know God's answer, and we can, so... This morning, I want you to hear these things. I want you to be greatly in instructed, yes, but encouraged by these things and challenged this morning to take up God's answer to the battle that we're in uh, anew, afresh, with uh, fresh purpose and intention. So we're here this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been making our way here through Paul's inspired letter uh, to the saved, baptized church members uh, here at Ephesus, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read before we begin this morning. I want to just jump in. I want to encourage you to take special care to get some notes down this morning. Please, get, get some notes down. Number one this morning, Paul encourages, uh, he encourages church members to be strong in the Lord. Uh, he encourages the church members there and here, of course, to be strong 
in the Lord. Now, brother, um, what's your name? Brother Art, just like that, your name was gone. Um, if Paul's commanding us, you know, I said encourage, but it's really a command. If the Lord commands us to be strong in him, it must be that's possible, right? We've said many times recently, God will never command something that he does not make possible. Uh, he's a just God, so it would be unjust for him to say, hey, you need to do this, but I'm going to make that impossible. That's not what God does. He commands us, he instructs us and commands us, and he enables those who are saved, who have the Spirit of God, uh, to, to obey. So see here in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, uh, verse 10, please. He says, finally, my brethren, he's writing to the saved, baptized church members there and here, be what? What does it say, church? Strong. That's command. It's an imperative. It's not a, hey, I got a suggestion for you as I'm winding it up here. That's not what he's saying. He commands us, he says, be strong, not physically strong, uh, and not in your own might or your own power, but spiritually in the Lord. Uh, he's writing to people who are in Christ, who can therefore find strength in Christ. People who are saved and who can therefore find strength in the Lord. That's something to praise God for this morning. Because I'm saved, I can find strength in the Lord for the battle that I'm in, for the world that I'm living with and, and contending with now. Uh, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the what? The power. You see it there, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of what are the next two words? Will you read them, please, with me? His might. His might, not mine, not yours, not Zachary's, not Brother Garcia's, although he's got some in the Lord too. Uh, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. He's a mighty God, amen? He's a mighty God. He spoke everything into existence. He's holding creation together. Uh, he's, he's a mighty God. Uh, Paul had taught them earlier. Look back in chapter 2 and verse 2, please. Earlier, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 2, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the enemy, the spirit that now uh, worketh in the, in the children of disobedience. He said, you know, before you were saved, you were, just, you were on the devil's team. You were, you were very much being directed by him, guided by him. It, he had a power in your life, you, maybe you didn't realize it, but that was, that was the fact. You, you were not part of the family of God. You were part of the devil's team. He was guiding and directing and, and working his purposes through you. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 19. Chapter 1 and verse 19. Having been saved, remember Paul's now writing to people who have been saved. Uh, they, they did walk according to Satan and his, his um, power and his devices, his goals. But now that they've been saved, chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says this. He says that the, he, he prayed that they would know what is the exceeding greatness, not of Satan's power, but of our Savior's power to usward, to us, who believe according to the working of his what? His mighty power. His mighty power. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ. Listen, if you need an example of that, think about the resurrection of Christ. What, how much power does it take, do you suppose, uh, Brother Andrew, how much power do you suppose it takes to raise someone from the dead? I don't have that power, Brother Ed, <laughs> apart from Christ. Now, in Christ, I mean, you could say I do, but I don't have the power, that kind of power. The Lord does. He, he wrought that power, verse 20, in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but it also in, the, in that which is to come. Verse 22, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all, uh, the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Power of the Lord has been wonderfully and superbly demonstrated at the resurrection of Christ. Not only his resurrection, but his ascension into heaven, where, where Christ has been placed at the right hand of the Father and has been given authority now over all things, all things, all powers, including Satan, who, by the way, is just a created being, right? He's, he, he hasn't been around forever. He's a created being and rebelled against God and continues to do so. Um, we have, we have a, a Savior who has authority and strength and strength to give to us, his people, that we can employ in this battle. Look chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul prayed in chapter 3 and verse 16 that the Lord would grant them, chapter 3 verse 16, the Lord would grant them according to the riches of his, of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We're dwelt by the spirit, but by the Father and the Son also. We have, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who strengthens us right at the center of our being. Uh, look at chapter 3, verse 20. You're there. Uh, Paul here asserts the Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the what? What is it? Power. That worketh where? In us. That's an amazing thing. The same power, the same one who employed his power to raise Christ from the dead is working in me. I can find strength to go on in difficult times when people are rioting in the streets or protesting. We had a big protest here in town yesterday. I don't know very much about that. I think it was peaceful. Thank, thankful for that. Uh, if coronavirus is going to come roaring back again, we can find strength for that battle. Uh, if the devil is going to try to take advantage of these things to distract us or depress us or discourage us, we can find strength because we have the strength from the Lord already, already to do battle with the enemy. Listen, to do battle with the enemy is to not give in with him, right? To, to prevail in that battle is to find strength in the Lord and those things that he has given us to not give the devil any victories in our lives, to not let him distract us, to not let him discourage us, to not let him depress us, to not let him lead us into temptation to find comfort because we feel like we need to because we're so distracted and discouraged and all of those things. You understand it. If you'll allow the devil to have a, a little victory and discourage you and get you down and draw you away from the Lord, he can really step in and, and, and have some greater victories. He can take you to a dark place, really depressed. He can take you to a place where you'll seek comfort in the things that he tempts you to seek comfort in, and it becomes a downward spiral. So we don't want to give place to the devil. No, no place. I want to be finding strength in the Lord and putting on the armor of God, the whole armor that he has given me to know the victory that I need to know in this battle. So we see number one, the Lord gives us strength. 
We have the strength that we need at our very core. Lord, help me to know that. Help me to, listen, what's the application there? Just, just remember it, know it, and ask God to help you know that daily. Be very intentional about that. Lord, remind me daily that I, I, have, I have strength from you to prevail in, in battle against the enemy when he comes tempting, discouraging, depressing, whatever it is. Lord, help me to, to know that I have strength in you to prevail in that battle. Lord, help me to know that strength. Help me to know that strength. It'd be a good time to be praying that every day. God, remind me daily of your strength. God, help me to, to know your strength, to employ that strength daily. And then the armor. Lord, help me to be reminded of all of the armor that you have given us for the battle that we are in today. Um, I want to not rush this morning. So I, I want to look at some of the armor this morning. And then tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be online, but please tune in tonight at 6 o'clock. That'll be the second part, the conclusion of, of the armor. So uh, we don't need to rush. and I don't want to keep you here well past noon for safety reasons. So we're not going to rush, but we'll look this morning, we'll look at the first three parts of the armor God has given us to prevail in the battle that we're in with a very real enemy. And tonight at six, we'll look at the last four will be our plan. So um, number two this morning, Paul commanded the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. I want you to get it down that way, please. Paul, it's really the Lord. Let's get it down that way. The Lord commands church members to put on the whole armor of God. Once you see this, this language twice, in verse 11, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, remember, Paul is, he's in prison, and uh, he's probably got Roman soldier there um, nearby, and he's looking at the different parts of the armor of the Roman soldier, and, and the Lord is allowing him to see how the different parts of the soldier's armor uh, were protective for the soldier and how they could also picture uh, the spiritual armor that God has given believers. There's some allusions to this back in Isaiah. We'll look at that also. Paul, I think both things are probably being employed by the Lord here. Paul sees a physical soldier and there's references to this armor back in Isaiah as well. Make a note of that. We'll come back to that. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God, the spiritual armor. Look at verse 13. There in verse 13, the Bible says, uh, wherefore, take unto you the what? What does it say? Whole armor. Why does the Lord, why does the Lord say whole armor twice? Why does he use the word whole? What does it mean? All of it, right? Uh, he, sa he says, you, you need to put on the whole armor, all of the armor. Why, why does he say that twice? Why does he say that once? Why does he say put on the armor? Well, I think, I think the, the reason is this. There is a temptation maybe to employ some of the armor that God has given us, right? But to leave out or to leave off some of it. What happens if the soldier, the Roman soldier, went into battle without the breastplate on? What might happen, Brother Ed? You might take a fiery dart to the chest, right? It might kill him. You know, he might be defeated rather quickly. You might be defeated. 
and so Lord understands that we have a tendency to not employ all of the armor that God has given us. And we stumble in spiritual battle because of that. That just makes sense. We don't employ all that God has given us. We're not going to prevail to the extent that God wants us to prevail. Lord, help us to understand each and every part of the armor, the spiritual armor that you've given us to prevail in these spiritual battles uh, that we are in. Look back at, at verse 11, please. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the what? What does it say? The wiles, Brother Dana, the wiles uh, of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the wiles uh, of the devil. The devil has all of his devices. We've talked about them. All, all of his devices, all the attacks, different kinds of attacks that he, he launches against us. All the wiles, his devices, his, his uh, battle strategies and tactics that he launches against us. We need to put on the whole armor of God so that ye, all of us, may be able to stand against the wiles, the devices, the attacks of the devil. It's God's instruction. It's God's command. It is a command. So you see, we're in a battle. We know that. God has given us strength to fight. That's the first part. Lord, help me to know that each day, to be reminded of that. God has given us spiritual armor to employ in the battle as well. Look at verse 12. We wrestle not against, why is this so important? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have very real spiritual enemies. Satan and his demons, they're real. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you, remember the you refers to all of us, it's, it's technically plural, uh, wherefore take unto you, all of you, the whole armor of God, that or so that ye, you all, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. If the Roman soldier leaves his breastplate at home, and he takes a fiery dart to the chest, he's probably not going to be standing at the end of the battle. He's going to be defeated. Too many Christians today are defeated spiritually because they have not known these things. They have not been careful to employ these things. And when the devil comes along, he frustrates and discourages them and depresses them and therefore leads, is able to lead them into temptation where they can find false comfort. You understand there's false comfort, right? There's the comfort that we find in the Holy Spirit, and then there's comfort that's false from the devil. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. I want to show you six, well, I want to show you three, three of these elements of the armor this morning. Let's get these first three down this morning, please. We'll say it this way first. We may stand against the wiles of the devil, we can be standing at the end of the spiritual battle by putting on, the first thing is truth, truth. Uh, verse 14, please, uh, see verse 14. Here's command. Lord says, stand, therefore, 
having your loins, your midsection gird about, uh, gird about, snug together with what? what? What is the T word there? Truth. So picture the soldier, he's got his belt on, his loins are, are, are girt about the, what, what is, what is the, the, this, this thing that would girt the loins? It kind of holds everything together, right? Hold, think of your belt on your pants, gentlemen. Uh, it, hold, it holds your pants in place, right? It kind of keeps things where they should be. Uh, it, it, it holds things in place. The truth here is likened to a belt used to snug the tunic of the soldier uh, it kept everything in place as truth does, uh, as truth does. So the, the first part of the armor is, is this belt, uh, this, this belt that girts the loins. It's picturing truth, uh, truth. What happens if, if you go into battle without your belt, Zach? Uh, part, parts of the armor might start to fall off, right? You'd be, uh, you'd be exposed. Uh, and you'd be exposed spiritually as well, is, is the idea here. Uh, the truth of God's word is, is an enormous part. It's the first thing on the list. Uh, it's the first, I don't think that's a mistake. Uh, the Holy Spirit had Paul to pen down these things in the order that the Spirit gave them. The very first thing on the list, uh, no doubt is among or perhaps is the most important thing, it's the truth. Uh, the truth of God's words. Um, Brother Ed, I used to teach that there's a philosophical culture war being fought over the nature of truth. I don't think that war is so much being fought anymore because I think the culture has decided that it's won. The culture has decided that the, the battle for the nature of truth has been won and that there isn't one truth, but there's many truths. And I, I know we talked about this a little bit recently. Um, Rich, we understand that the culture is teaching us that whatever truth is good for you is truth. This is the idea of relative truth, right? Find something that works for you and, and stick with it and kind of live your life and, and measure your life against the standard of whatever version of truth seems to work best for you. Um, this is why uh, you have a culture that's celebrating the whole LGBT, what is it, IQ plus now? I've got to use a plus sign because we ran out of letters, I guess. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, they just keep adding to that. And the culture has decided that it's, there's nothing wrong with that lifestyle or the, those lifestyles that encompass that, uh, that idea, that, that realm. Um, it's, it, it's just someone else's truth. It may not be truth for you, but it's truth for them, uh, and therefore it's okay. Well, the Bible teaches against that. The Bible presents a one form of absolute truth, the truth. Uh, the Bible presents the idea that truth is truth, and it's absolute, and, and you don't get to, to choose. I, I posted online this week uh, something like this. Um, well, I can't find my quote now, uh, but you may have seen it. I think I said um, absolute truth. What did I write? Did you see it? Did you see it? Absolute truth is Bible truth, so, something like that. You understand the Bible's absolutely true, right? And, and I hope you understand this morning, you don't have to prove that to anybody. Amen? You don't have to prove that to anybody. God has, has shown us in our hearts, he's convicted us in our hearts that the Bible is true. So that's our starting point. The Bible is true. 
God is true. The Bible reveals the Lord who is true, and the Bible says that uh, it is his truth, and it's the only truth. There's an absolute standard of truth. The Lord has revealed that to us, and, and he's, he's convicted us of that in our own hearts. You don't have to prove that to yourself or to anyone else. God has, has shown you that. Uh, in our Friday email, I included uh, a verse, 1 John 5 and verse 20. You can just listen. 1 John 5 and 20, verse 20 says this, We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You understand the Bible presents the Lord as the, not a, but the true God. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Uh, if, listen, if, if you believe the Bible, there's one true God. I encourage people all the time who aren't sure about the Bible, listen, just start reading it. Ask God to show you if, if, if this is true, if there's one true God and these are his words. You just start reading and let God show you that. Let him convict you of that in your own heart. And he does. He does. That's how you know that it's the truth. And the Bible reveals the one true God. There aren't lots of gods. There's not lots of versions of Jesus. There's not a Jesus who came to save and um, who didn't accomplish what he was sent to accomplish. There's, there's one Jesus of Scripture. Uh, there's one true God and one true gospel. The Bible says that it is the truth. Write down a reference, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. The Bible is called the word of truth. It is the written revelation of truth that is absolute and unchanging. Write down another reference, please. Psalm 119 and 142, verse 142. Uh, the psalmist writes, Thy righteousness, he's praying, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. The Bible presents one true God, one version of truth, and that the Bible is the, the, the true revelation of the one true God. Is, has God shown you that in your heart? Has he, don't forget that. When, when everybody's saying, yeah, but that's your truth, Carol. Uh, that's your truth, Brother Ford. That, that's true for you? People say this. People say something like this to me. I'm glad that's good for you. I'm really glad that's good for you. That's your truth and you're living it. But my truth is over here. Let me live mine. Well, you can make a choice, but your truth is not the truth unless it's Bible truth. That's the truth of Scripture. Don't forget that because the world is bombarding us with the idea that your truth is yours and mine is mine and that's okay. That's okay. I don't we have to be loving and tolerant, meet people where they are so that we can show them the truth. Don't be ugly about their truth being wrong, but graciously, lovingly, if they will allow you, introduce them to the idea there's absolute truth. And the Bible is absolutely true. And there's one true God. And you can know the truth. And it'll change you. The truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will change you. People need the truth. What do you do with this? Well, we're called to gird ourselves about with the truth. 
We're, we're, we're called to have it, to know it, to keep it close to us, to allow it to kind of hold everything together in our lives. It will do that if you have it. Uh, it will do that. The truth, will, the truth of God's words will kind of hold your life together for the battle that you're in. It, it'll help you keep it together when you're in the spiritual battle that we are in. But you've got to know it, and you've got to have God's help to apply it. Uh, you've got to choose it. Psalm 119 and verse 30, the psalmist writes this. He's praying, and he says, Lord, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Did you hear that? He says, Lord, I've chosen the way of truth. You've got to choose You've got to choose that way, the way of truth, and you've got to have the Lord's judgments or his words before you so that you can see them and know them and be reminded of them. Now, sometimes just opening the Bible and letting your words fall where they will, that, I mean, that's, that, that's better than not being in the Bible. But boy, how much better when, when you get in the Bible and, and you say, okay, Lord, I, I choose your truth I'm, I'm going to put my eyes in your word, and you begin to pray. God, show me your truth. Teach me your truth. In Psalm 86 and verse 11, the psalmist prayed, Teach me thy way, O Lord. And then he says this, I will walk in thy truth. He chose truth. He got into the Bible, and the psalmist said, Lord, teach me your way, and then I'll apply it. I'll walk in truth. We need to do the same thing. You need to choose it. I'm not going to let, the, I'm, I reject this idea, this postmodern idea that there's many truths rejected. Stamp it rejected and leave it behind. Lord, I choose your truth. I'm going to be in the Bible as much as I can be. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to pray, Lord, teach me your truth. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. His ministry includes um, helping us to, to remember and understand the word of God, but pray anyway. God, show me. Show me what you want me to see. Teach me your truth so that I can walk in it. And then pray, God, help me to walk in it practically. Help me to apply it the way that you want me to do that. Do you believe if you would do that, that it would help you to kind of keep everything together in a time of chaos and disorder and just so much spiritual battle? Would that be a help? You better believe it'll be a help. Lord, help us to do that, to be girt about with truth, to choose it, to be in it, to pray, help me to know it. Lord, you teach it to me and help me to walk according to it the way that you want me to. God will make changes in your life as you do that, and, and it'll be a blessing to you, a help to you, and a blessing to God as well. Now, consider this. If you, if you have the truth, if you have the truth about what is right, you could put on righteousness. And that's, the second, that's the second thing. It's, it's the second part of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Number two this morning, we can stand against the wiles of Satan, against the devil, by putting on righteousness, which is likened to a breastplate. 
that part that protects the chest. It's particularly important to protect the chest, right? Why is that, Richard? There's, we, there's importance to the heart, right? I need the heart to be protected. Uh, we could stand against the wiles of Satan by putting on righteousness, which is likened to, pictured as the, the breastplate, that part of the spiritual armor. Uh, verse 14 says this, uh, verse 14 says this, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth, that's the first thing, and, and secondly, having on the breastplate of, well, say it with me, church, what does it say? What does it say? Righteousness. What is righteous? Well, I've said this many times, what, what is righteous? Well, look at the word. It starts with right. <laughs> it's, it's what is right, uh, having a rightness, righteousness in your life. Um, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? Church, is there an absolute version of truth that does, it's, it's absolutely true no matter what? There is. How do, you, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? The world says, hey, my heart, my heart tells me that. My heart shows me that. Let's see all kinds of signs. Follow, follow your heart. There's the sign up here in, near Town Hall. It's encouraging the seniors to trust their heart and their journey. No disrespect to who wrote that, but I don't even know what that means. Uh, it seems to be encouraging people just to trust themselves, right? Trust yourself. My heart's desperately wicked. How about yours? <laughs> That's what the Bible says. You're the pastor. My heart's desperately wicked. How about yours? That's the natural state of my heart. Uh, that's the natural state of my heart. I can know what is right and righteous and live righteously uh, because I have God's words to know what is right and what is wrong. And I have the Spirit of God who helps me to learn these things. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. I will walk righteously. I will walk righteously. Um, Understand in the, in the Bible, now stay with me for a second, please. Stay with me longer than that. Righteousness here is the idea of what? Obedient living, right? It's the idea of obedience, Brother Steve, to the word of God. The Bible says here that living righteously has the power to protect us from the wiles of the devil. Well, how, that is what it's, can we agree that's what it's saying? Is that what it's saying? I think it is. How is that? How is that? Um, how is that? Won't you consider this? Won't you consider this? Um, anybody love junk food? Come on. I posted something online. I keep talking about the internet, Richard. You better pray for me. I posted this funny little thing online yesterday. I told my wife I ate four, maybe five Hershey's Kisses. And her response was, what are you doing? Are, are, are you confessing or bragging? <laughs> I thought I did pretty good by just eating four or five, brother. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you love junk food? 
it's good. Except that it's not, right? Um, how can you, if you want to make a change to your diet and, and push out things that are not good for you, what, what do you need to do? If you're going to push out stuff that's bad for you in your diet, wh what do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to start eating what? Healthy food, stuff that's good for you, right? If you fill up on, on good stuff, you just fill right up to the top with good stuff, it'll be easier to not eat the bad stuff. I'm not saying the temptation's not still there, right? It might be. But it'll be, it'll be easier to manage the temptation to get too deep in the junk food if, if you fill up on, on good stuff. Listen, if, if you will fill your life with righteous living, if, if you just occupy yourself with doing right, the, the temptation to do wrong, your availability to, to do wrong, you're just less available. You're doing right. You're less available to do wrong. If, if you will, with God's strength, with his grace, invest yourself in, in, in doing, thinking, and doing what is righteous according to God's words, uh, you're going to be occupied with doing that, and you're going to be less distracted by the temptation to do something different and, and less available. If you're focused on doing what is right according to God's words, you're, you're, you're going to be less able to see. You're going to be less distracted by temptation and therefore less willing to give in to temptation. Men, if you keep your eyes on your own wife, you're less, less tempted to look at someone else's wife. Amen? You get the idea, right? Living righteously has amazing biblical power to protect from the devices of the enemy. If you are invested in and focused on doing what is right, you're not just hanging out, waiting for the devil to put some temptation in your eyes. You're occupied. You're busy. You're doing what is right. Zach, I think this is one of the reasons that Bible colleges try to keep young people so busy doing what is right, right? Because temptations are especially strong and difficult when, when you're younger. I'm not saying that's not the case when you're older, but Bible colleges have figured out this truth. Keep people occupied doing what is right. They'll have less opportunity to be distracted and less strength and energy to invest in doing what is wrong. Lord, help me to invest myself in knowing what is true and then living according to it righteously. God, if I'm held together, if, if truth will kind of help me keep it together and then know what is right and to invest myself and, and to live righteously, I'm going to be less available to the devil. I'm going to be less distracted by his temptations that he throws up uh, before me. By the way, this is possible because of the righteousness of, of God, right? It's, it's possible because the, the, Lord, uh, the Lord enables us to know righteousness and to be righteous. Uh, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, just listen, write the reference down, please. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. 
In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said he recognized power of sin was dead in his life. He recognized the importance of just giving his life over to the Lord. He recognized that it was now, uh, as, as a believer, it was now Christ that lived in him and through him. His life was not his own and his, his purposes were different. Uh, and now he had a Savior who not only saved him, but who indwelt him and, and lived through him. That's how we can live righteously. We yield to that Lord and ask him to help us to live the righteous life that we could not otherwise live. In Psalm 5 and verse 8, the psalmist prays, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. You indwell me and you are righteous. I can yield to you and, and, and allow you to bring forth righteousness in my life that I could not otherwise walk in. This morning, what that means for you practically is, you know, it's whatever God convicts you about. I'll say again, men, keep your eyes on your own wife if you have a wife. If you don't, just keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen. Um, you watch TV? <laughs> we watch a little TV. We try to keep it very righteous. Recently, we canceled our cable because we found a better, cheaper option and something thought could be a little more righteous too. It was kind of annoying at first, Brother Ed, that this streaming service that we got, it doesn't allow you to flip from channel to channel. Do you ever sometimes just like to flip, 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 flip? That could become like a hat. You're just looking for something to watch, right? Flip, 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 flip. You could flip forever. You ever go all the way through and get back to the beginning? You got like 280 channels in your cable, right? You could flip forever never really landing anywhere. But what happens when you're flipping through 50 channels, 100 channels, 150 channels? To, what happens? Sooner or later, you see something you wish you didn't see, right? Sooner or later, you hear something, even just for a moment, that you wish you did not hear. Um, I'm thankful for a streaming service that makes you pick something and then go to it. Because you can pick something that is that you believe will be relatively righteous and just go there and stay there. That's what the Lord's saying here. Um, choose to occupy yourself with righteousness and you'll be less exposed and less available to do unrighteousness. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. That's a prayer. Pray that prayer. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. I got one more point for you this morning, and we'll be done. We may stand, number three, we may stand against the wiles of Satan by being prepared to share the gospel. By being prepared to share the gospel. This is more of an offensive kind of thing. The first two things seem pretty defensive. 
This seems more offensive, getting out there and sharing the gospel, charging into the battle and sharing the gospel. It seems more offensive. It's been said that sometimes the best defense is a strong offense, and I think that's, that's an idea that we see here. Uh, we may stand against the wiles of Satan, number three, by being prepared to share the gospel. See uh, verse 15, and your feet shod, uh, covered, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shoes that a Roman soldier wore would cover the feet and protect the feet, uh, and they would kind of come up the, the lower leg, uh, kind of like a sock. They would protect the sock. But uh, again, I don't really think this is a, a defensive protective thing that's being sh uh, shown here. A Roman soldier's shoes allowed him to to go forward uh, into battle. Yes, protecting the feet, but enabling him to go uh, into the battle. One man says the thought here is of being prepared to take the offensive, even as an unshod soldier is not prepared to join the battle. A Christian unready to present the gospel is likewise unfit for the battle. He says, indeed, often the best defense is a strong offense. I read this account this week. I want to share it with you quickly. The safety of a mountain climber depends on being well shod, having the right shoes. Uh, the Swiss guides, mountain climbing guides, wear heavy shoes with sharp spikes in the soles. One bright July morning, the famous, a famous scientist of England started with two gentlemen to ascend a steep, lofty mountain in Switzerland. Though experienced mountaineers, they took with them uh, the boldest guide in that area. After reaching the summit of the mountain, they started back and soon arrived at a steep slope covered with thin snow. They were lashed together with a strong rope, which was tied to each man's waist. Keep carefully in my steps, gentlemen, said the guide, for a false step here might start the snow and send us down in an avalanche. He had scarcely spoken when the whole field of snow began to slide down the icy mountain, carrying the unfortunate climbers with it at a terrible pace. A steeper slope was before them, and at the end of it, a precipice, a drop-off. The three foremost men were almost buried in the whirling snow. Below them were the jaws of death, Everything depended on getting a foothold. The guide shouted loudly, halt, halt, and with desperate energy drove his iron-clad nailed boots into the firm ice beneath the moving snow. Within a few feet of the precipice, he got a hold with his feet and was able to bring the party up all standing when a few seconds more would have swept them into the chasm below. Being well shod <laughs> enabled him to save that party from certain death. A Christian who is well shod, prepared to share the gospel, can lead others to the safety of eternal salvation. Now, you may still be wondering, well, how does that, okay, I accept that truth, but how does that truth 
help me in my spiritual battle with Satan? How does it help me stand against his wiles, his devices, his tactics? Here's a couple thoughts and we're done. Someone who is prepared to share the gospel and who is occupied by sharing the gospel will be less available to Satan and to his temptation. So it's very much related to the last idea. Living righteously and occupying yourself with living righteously and knowing the Lord, submitting to the Lord's righteousness and, and, and walking according to it in your life just occupies you with doing that. You're focused on righteousness. A focus on sharing the gospel has same power and effect. You're, you're occupied doing the Lord's work. You'll be less available to the temptations of Satan. That's one thought. But I think another thought, a better thought, is this one. Um, Brother Garcia, if, if you could, if you were going into battle and you could convince your enemy that he was wrong to fight you, the battle could be averted, perhaps, right? And think about this. As we share the gospel, more people who might be used of Satan to tempt us will be saved, right? That's the hope, right? The Satan will often tempt us through other people, lost people. As we share the gospel with people, more people get saved, and then they become less available to be used by Satan to tempt us in a spiritual battle and to lead us into sin. Sharing the gospel with people is a great help to them. They'll be saved. They can be saved once they hear the gospel. They can avoid hell. But it's also a great help to us because those same people become less of a spiritual problem for us over time, perhaps. That's the truth. And I believe that's the idea here in verse 15. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be prepared to share the gospel. And do it. I told someone this week, I share some truth with you, share some counsel with you, but then it's going to be up to you to do it. You ever have occasion to give someone counsel and thought it was pretty good biblical counsel, but then they didn't do it? <laughs> no doubt you have. We need to take up these elements of the armor and use them. It's not good enough to just listen this morning. We need to be girt about with the truth, get into it and stay in it, ask the Lord to help us see it and know it and apply it to our lives. And as we do that, we can live righteously and be occupied investing ourselves in righteousness, serving the Lord and doing right. We'll be less available and less distracted by that which is wrong. Sharing the gospel will convert our enemies, our spiritual enemies, to the Lord and make them less dangerous to us.
These are facts. Lord, help us to be serious about these things. Help us to take these up and apply them to our lives. Lord willing, tonight at 6, we'll look at the next four things. We'll be done with this section. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, thank you this morning for your strength. We're so desperately in need of your strength, your might, your power in our lives. Lord, I thank you that it's available to us. It does require submitting to you. It does require prayer. It does require being in your word. I didn't mention it this morning, but we could add fasting to that list too. And Lord, thank you for the armor. You have armed us for the battle that we are in. Lord, I know this morning that you are allowing this battle for good purposes. Father, we grow in trials, and certainly spiritual battles are trials. Help us not to be angry or frustrated or depressed when trials, which include spiritual battles, come along. But Lord, help us to be reminded that we benefit, we grow, we're strengthened when we are tried and challenged. Lord, you've given us the grace and strength to prevail. You've given us every part of the armor that we need to prevail to come out the other side stronger. Help us, Lord, to be serious about these things. Help us to very intentionally take up all of our armor each day. to prevail Lord I know that if we will we will prevail we'll grow and grow and grow we'll not fall we'll know spiritual victories victory over the power of temptation our faith will grow our trust and reliance upon you will grow and you'll be glorified in all of that Help us to be very intentional about these things. Well, eyes are closed and heads are bowed. I want to give you an opportunity just to pray, and we'll close. I want to encourage you to pray and thank God for the strength that he gives, for the armor that he gives. If you've not availed yourself of these things, confess that. And ask the Lord to help you take up this armor in a very practical way this morning. Father, I love you this morning. I thank you working in my life thank you for working in our church thank you for your strength for the armor that we have been provided by you help us to use it now I pray in Jesus name amen praise God for the armor
Zach, you come lead us in a closing song, please. Went a little bit longer than I planned to this morning, but we're good. You come and close us, please. You close us in prayer. We'll be dismissed to outdoors. And uh, encourage you, please, if you possibly can, join us uh, tonight at 6 for part 2, second and final part of this message. All right, have a blessed day. We'll see you outside. All right, if you would take your hymn packets and turn to the last um, song for today, it's going to be number 666, or 666, I should say, if Jesus goes with me. If, let's stand, please, as we turn to number 666, if Jesus goes with me. We'll sing all four verses. It may be in the valley where countless dangers hide. It may be in the sunshine that I in peace abide. But this one thing I know, if it be dark or fair, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me wherever I be, if he is there. I count it a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. It may be I must carry the blessed word of life across the burning deserts to those in sinful strife. And though it be my lot to bear my colors there, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me, wherever I may be, if he is there. I counted a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. But if it be my portion to bear my cross at home, while others bear their burdens beyond the billows home, I'll prove my faith in him, confess his judgments fair. And if he stays with me, I'll stay anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me, wherever I may be, if he is there. I count it a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. And the last, it is not mine to question the judgments of my Lord. It is but mine to follow the leadings of his word. But if to go or stay, or whether here or there, I'll be with my Savior, content anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me, wherever I may be, if he is there. I count it a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ability to be here this morning. Uh, please bless the service to come in Jesus' name, I pray.